Good evening, everyone. It is so great to be here. Um, I am by trade, I'm a science teacher, but at the moment my job is to be at home negotiating with a 19-month-old most of the time. So I'm on a bit of a mum's night out, really. It was amazing. So our kids work at Eloise is currently looking after our little boy, which is amazing. Good service by the church. No, I'm joking. It's a friend kind of, you know, favour. Um, it's not a general service that we offer. Um, and um, got to come in on the, mo um, on the back of my husband's motor bike, which was the first time since I was pregnant with 19-month-old, so that was good fun. So I'm having a great time, got to worship without worrying about a 19-month-old. So if no one takes anything from this today, I've had a great time, that's all I can say, um, which is amazing. So yes, we are in a vision on prayer, um, looking at our vision and today looking at prayer specifically. Now I don't know what you think of when you hear the talk's going to be on prayer. Maybe you get really excited because you absolutely love prayer. Maybe you feel a bit of dread because you're like, oh, this is something I ought to do. Maybe I'm going to feel like that highlighted to me today and I don't do it as much as I should. Um, maybe you're intrigued because you're kind of not quite sure where, what you feel about prayer yet and you're kind of interested in what that looks like. Um, maybe hopeful that the speaker today will give you something that will re-spark your prayer life into being. Uh, whatever your feelings today, know that I have not been asked to do this talk because I am a major prayer warrior. I haven't seen many more miracles than anyone else or have or more answered prayer. That is not why I've been asked to do this at all. Um, but I have, however, been on a little bit of a journey with prayer the last few months and kind of want to share some of that with you tonight. And I hope that even for just one of you, something of what I share helps you to take a step into a more kind of beautiful and bountiful life of prayer that Jesus has for us. And through it, kind of embolden us as a church to pray for that vision that Josh just spoke about. It's a big vision, and one that needs uh, prayerful support. Um, so we're going to focus this talk on a section from the Bible, and we're going to look at a little bit from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, the church in Philippi, which Paul is um, writing to, was actually one of the, the, the first Jesus community that Paul set up in Eastern Europe. So that meant Philippi, um, being a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia, was full of these kind of patriotic, nationalist, kind of retired Roman soldiers. So Paul coming in and saying, actually, the true um, person you should worship is Jesus. The true leader is Jesus. Jesus is king. Was not received very highly. Had a lot of um, kind of persecution and faced resistance. Um, and then Paul left this church to flourish, and he went off to do his other stuff. Um, and he's ended up in prison. And this church in Philippi has sent um, Paul some money. And Paul is basically writing a thank you letter back to the church in Philippi. But classic Paul, it's not so much of a thank you letter. It's more of a teaching letter, as is classic. Um, and in the center of this amazing letter is a really succinct summary of the gospel. That's what we believe, the truth that Jesus and Paul and we as a church believe. That God humbly came to earth as a human, that he lived and he died and he rose again in order to put the broken mess of the world we're currently in back together. And that he continues to do that to this day to make all things new. That's God's mission, and that's our mission here. And the rest of Paul's letter goes on to basically encourage this church in Philippi to live their lives as a reflection of Jesus' story, Jesus' lives, to see those moments of service, of sacrifice, and joy in the everyday, and to look for Jesus' kingdom coming here on earth. 
So that's the kind of letter as a whole. And we're going to have just a look at a tiny little bit of it um, where Paul focuses on prayer. And so this is from, if you want to follow along, there are some Bibles at the front if you want to like, run around and get one. Or you can have it on your phone or it will appear on the screen. So this is chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the first point I want to pull out of this little bit of the letter today is that we are called to be humble in prayer. Humble in prayer. Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. But for this church that was facing persecution and opposition from the sort of Roman soldiers around them and the kind of place they were in and the culture, this isn't just a nicety. It's not, I'll oh, just be a bit more joyful. I'll cheer up a little bit. This is more than that. This is kind of as an act of choice, an act of faith. We sung it today as I, I was thinking of this when we sung, where we hear praises, he hears faith. This, isn't, this is a choice to declare the truth. And as I was writing this bit of the talk, um, the phrase, joy as an act of resistance, popped into my head. And I was like, where have I heard that before? I was like, mm, was it, is it a new Christian worship song that I'd forgotten about? No. Is it, a new, is it a book? Did I see it at Focus at some point on the bookstool? No. So I Googled it after about 10 seconds of deliberation. No one deliberates for that long anymore, do they? 10 seconds, and I was like, nah. Googled it. Um, what it popped up as was the second album of a British rock band called The Idols. What Idols? And I was like, ah, that's why. I can hear him laughing in here. So I know this very, very well because The Idols, I don't particularly listen to them. I like rock. Idols is a bit shouty for me, especially at 7 o'clock in the morning in the shower. But my husband does love The Idols to the point that when this second album came out, um, he was uh, given the opportunity to buy a limited edition vinyl copy of this new album because he was in the something percent, top percent of the Spotify listeners in the world for this, this particular group. Top 500 listeners in the world. Okay, great. There you go. So that's why I know of the idols. Um, and okay, their music is a bit shouty for me, but I love the sentiment behind their music. They have noticed our broken society, our broken world, and they want to resist it. And one of the ways they're saying is resist the kind of capitalist um, downward thing and just resist it with joy. Resist it with joy. Resist the downtrodden nature of sometimes the life that we see around us and resist it with joy. And I don't actually disagree with that particularly as a sentiment, but I think as Christians we get an even better spin on this. We get to completely spin it round on its head. The joy that Paul is talking about here, the joy that we have, is not a forced joy, not a joy that we have to force from the inside out of us, but it's a truth on the outside that if we let it can change us on the inside and work through us to help make all things new. 
It's a joy that we need to humbly accept. It's nothing that we can do out of pure brute force. But what has God has already done and given to us. Prayer starts with an admittance that life is more than what we can feel, see, hear around us. More than this situation we find ourselves in. Prayer is to humbly come before God to look at the world and our lives through his eyes. Prayer is an acknowledgement that actually we can't change our circumstances, the society, or this world back to how Jesus created it to be on our own pure strength. We can only do it through God's power and by humility to him. At one of our previous churches, the vicar used to say this quite a lot. He used to say, work as if it all depends on us, but pray as if it all depends on God. Both can't be true. That's one of those statements, a bit like Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. Can't quite get our heads around that work, how that works. But I think found it really helpful. And I can often sway from one to the other. I don't know where you fall. Sometimes I sway to working as if it doesn't depend on God at all. Or waiting on God as if it doesn't really depend on me at all. Um, And I definitely probably end up swaying more towards the former. I'll work at it, I'll work at it, and forget that kind of God's even involved. You may have heard from our reading today before that phrase, do not be anxious about anything. You may have heard that before. It's quite a quotable kind of verse. Do not be anxious about anything. But a couple of months ago, I was reading this passage, and I noticed that there was a little bit just before. Now, the verse numbers weren't put in by Paul when he was writing this letter. He didn't write it and then go, verse 5 this, verse 6 this. That, that's been put in afterwards. And I think this might have, this is my personal opinion, sorry, theologians, but this has been put slightly in the wrong place. Because if you read just before, it says, the Lord is near. So it almost reads, the Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. Again, like at the bit at the beginning with the rejoicing, this isn't an act of I'm going to have to force myself to not be anxious. This is about humbling ourselves towards God. The Lord is near, so do not be anxious. It's about God, it's not about us. It's about us humbly accepting God has the power to change. We are to be humble in prayer. The second point I want to make from our passage today is to be active in prayer. Active in prayer. So Paul says here, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. As we pray for ourselves and our world, as we bring those requests towards God, we are acting as an intercessor. What that means as an intercessor is we bring our kind of worries about the world to God. We bring our hopes and our fears about the city and our loved ones and the things going on around us to God, rather than letting them just stop with us and internally just dwelling on them. This same word anxious that Paul uses here is the same word that Jesus uses when he says, you might have heard this before, in Matthew 6 and in Luke 12, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about what you will wear. As we saw in point one about being humble in prayer, this isn't an inner attempt to not be anxious. 
And it isn't talking about having the ability to force our own mental health into well-being when it's not. Or that those who are even more anxious or have anxiety on a higher level are just not praying hard enough. That's absolutely not what it's saying. But this is a call for all of us to turn our anxious thoughts to prayer. Not that we shouldn't have those thoughts, but that we should share them and share them with God. And that we should share them specifically in every situation. Prayer and petition. Present your requests. This is exciting. Intercessory prayer has a history of being incredibly powerful. Karl Barth, the theologian, said, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Another theologian, Walter Wink, said, history belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. And Mary, Queen of Scots, is once alleged to have said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than I fear all the armies on the face of the world. Prayer sounds amazing. A wonder, a gift, a delight. And in fact, when you put it like that, it kind of sounds quite simple. Just pray about it. But do we actually pray like that? Pray like it changes things. I've recently been listening to a great book on prayer. It's called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. Would definitely recommend, although I haven't reached the end, so if it does go controversial at the end, I'm sorry. Um, But at the start of his chapter on intercessory prayer, he presents a challenge. He says, if everything you have prayed this week was granted exactly how you prayed it, what would change? If everything you prayed this week was granted exactly how you prayed it, what would change? Now, for some of you, that might be absolutely brilliant. You, like, love prayer. It's one of your favorite things and everything. You just love praying. You're like, wow, that would be so amazing. I, however, had a bit of a sinking feeling that nothing much would change. Not because I didn't pray at all, but that I prayed such unspecific, wishy-washy prayers probably from a fear of what would happen if I prayed really specifically and nothing changed, that nothing really would change. I wonder if you relate to that. We get so excited by the power of prayer, but then we get stuck, stuck in this middle bit of prayer is a wonder, but prayer is a bit of a mystery and it's quite difficult. I've been recently taking our 19-month-old swimming Um, for swimming lessons, aside I'm not very good at getting in the pool, it's a bit cold, so I thought if I paid for swimming lessons I'd actually take him, which has happened. Um, But we were getting changed on that first lesson and I got myself changed and I was getting him changed and he was just going, no, 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 it's quite difficult to change a toddler when he's saying no. No, no, I was like, no, we've paid for this, we're doing this. So got him changed, walked down to the swimming pool, he was quite excited looking at all the older kids having a swim and got to the edge and we signed in and then it's time to get in and he was like, no. So okay, so I got in and kind of pulled him in, and then he gave this delighted like, ah! like only toddlers can do. I mean, it was also quite cold. That was probably where that came from. Um, 
But he was just delighted. And everything we did was incredible. And he'd just go again, again, again. We were like catching these fish that were being thrown. We were doing nursery rhymes in the pool. He got to splash me. He got to jump in and pour stuff. It was amazing. He had a, the best time. Then we got out and it was quite cold um, and we got changed, but he'd had a great time. I was like, yes, we've nailed that. The next week we got to the changing rooms, got changed. No, no. I was like, what? You had the best time? No, no. I was like, what is this? I was like, okay, we'll do it again. Every time. No, even though when we get there, I mean, he has started to now jump in without the no. So I think once he reaches the swimming pool, he's like, oh yeah, I get this now. This is great. But I do think that actually that's a little bit like us with prayer. So we get excited about the kind of jumping in the pool, the swimming to get the fish, splashing mummy, but then we realise, ah, it's going to be cold getting changed, it smells of chlorine, that's a bit gross. We rejoice in answered prayer, but then remember our countless unanswered prayers. We long to think our prayers don't just change us and our hearts, but they change the world around us. But then we look at the news and perhaps just don't even know where to start or how on earth our prayers could make a difference. We agonize over praying things that, for things that break our heart, but we're fearful of where that will leave us if those prayers go unanswered. Just as a side note here, that is all I'm going to talk about in terms of unanswered prayer. I think you could talk for eight sermons on this. Um, but if you are struggling with that or want to look a bit more into it, I'd really recommend starting with Pete Gregg's book, God on Mute. Um, it's a great read um, if you want to have a look at that or come and speak to me afterwards. So when we get stuck in the middle of prayer being a wonder and prayer being a bit of a mystery, how do we start to pray specifically? Well, I think this is where it gets really tricky, because prayer isn't just an activity we do, like exercise, or eating well, or oh, those sorts of things. Prayer is a relationship. It's communication between you and God. And therefore, it's going to depend on who you are. Every relationship depends on your personality, your background, your history, your family, and your relationship with God already. But I did come up with a few ideas that might help you get started of unsticking yourself in this murky mystery of prayer. So for some of you, that might be the idea of recording answered prayers. So when you get stuck, you can look back on those prayers that have been answered. Maybe for others of you, it's praying with other people, that accountability of they're going to be praying at that time in that space, so I'm going to join them. Maybe it's creating a list on your phone of all the places in the Bible that Jesus promises to meet us in prayer as an encouragement. Or maybe, like me, that question I ask, I've started to ask myself every night when I get into bed, what would change if what I prayed today came, was answered exactly how I prayed it? Maybe that's the encouragement you need. And then we just need to do it. Be brave and jump into the swimming pool and give it a go. Because we need you. We need your specific active prayers as a church. The vision Josh mentioned is a big vision. And we need your prayers in order for it to happen. We need your prayers for Alpha guests to come and get to know Jesus. For our rising generation of young people coming through as they wade through culture and get to know who they are. For our staff as they make big decisions and small decisions every day. For this building as we work out how to use it for the best of its ability to fix things, all those different things. For funding, for how we grow as a church and fit more people in and church plant and work with the diocese and the other churches in Bristol to reach this mission. 
for our city, for organizations we work with, for people we're meeting, and for each other as we do this mission together. There's a few of us, and I know there's a few of us here tonight, who meet on Zoom every other Wednesday morning at 6.30. You're very welcome to join us. But someone um, decided, I really feel passionate about praying for the rising generation, for the kids and the youth of our church, for the people who work with them, and for them in their schools and where they are. And so we started praying. That's it. We just meet for half an hour every two weeks, and we pray. And that stirs me on for the rest of the two weeks before we meet again, to keep praying. Maybe there's a few of you who are passionate about something in this church or in this city. Just start praying. Maybe meet in a bar, a cafe. Doesn't have to be 6.30 in the morning. Early mornings seem more holy, don't they? But they're really not. Any time of day is holy. Um, so pray at any point that suits you. You don't have to ask us to join. A, start a little prayer group. Although tell us you're doing it, because we'd love to know if you're praying about something going on in St. Nick's regularly. So we've looked at how we're called to be humble in prayer and active in prayer. And finally, my third point from this passage is to claim our identity as we pray. To claim our identity as we pray. Paul talks about rejoicing despite circumstances and bringing our anxieties and requests to God. And then in that last verse we read, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard is an active word. What this is saying is not once you've given all your anxieties to God, what's left behind is peace. But the, the peace is an active force. Jesus is actively guarding our hearts and guarding our minds. And as we pray and meet Jesus, we receive this act, um, active force of peace, this God. And the more we pray, the more we become like Jesus. And the more we enter into our identity with Jesus, the more we end up praying. It's kind of a bit of a cycle. To continue my love for that book I quoted earlier, I'm just going to read a little passage um, where the author writes about um, kind of our position as we pray, our identity as we pray. It's kind of quite a long passage, so just kind of sit, settle in, close your eyes if you want to imagine what he's saying. But as I read it, I just found it so beautiful as it pictured us claiming our identity as we pray. To pray is to experience the very same access to God the Father that Jesus has. To pray in Jesus' name means that we enter into Jesus' status in God's favour and invoke Jesus' standing with God. You're not Jesus, just in case you were confused. You're not Jesus. But if you're a follower of Jesus, every single time you pray, you come before the Father clothed in the robe and crown of a ruler in the eyes of heaven, you are filled with Jesus' status and standing. Then he goes on to say, Prayer is the means by which we push back the curse that has infected the world and us. When we engage in intercessory prayer, we're loving others based on heaven's resources. Prayer is heaven's highest security clearance. Free access to stroll right into the heavenly vault, 
gather whatever we can carry and hand it out to the world. We are rulers calling the shots for how heavenly resources get distributed. And intercession is a way of saying, oh, we've got to have some here. Oh, look, there's something missing over there. It's the distribution of God's resources in our disordered world. When you look at it like that, how exciting does prayer sound? Give me that robe, give me that crown. Although actually when I read this, I pictured myself across between Merida from the Disney Pixar film Brave and kind of a women, woman in the 1940s French resistance fighters in the Second World War. That was kind of my picture of me, but maybe that is probably just me. Maybe Robin Hood for some of you, that kind of idea. Um, but oh man, let me waltz into that vault and take the jewels and hand them out. There is a caveat here. When we pursue our identity in prayer, we're pursuing God's heart. And as we pray, we allow God to break our hearts for what breaks his. As we pray to the God of love in the identity of Jesus, we are slowly becoming his identity. And his identity is love. I don't know if you've ever found that when you're praying for something because your head tells you you have to pray for it and then as you pray your heart breaks for the situation. I remember that happening um, when the Taliban took over Afghanistan. I felt a real call in my head to like pray for the women who were being kind of not given education and opportunities. I felt as someone who was a woman who'd really been given education and opportunities and was then a teacher, I felt really called cool to pray. So I started praying. And as I prayed, I found my heart break. And then I had an opportunity here at St. Nick's. We worked um, with some charities to support some of the refugees that came over. And one morning, I happened to be at a hotel where they were staying, and I saw these little girls getting into this coach that was taking them off to school. These little girls that back in Afghanistan wouldn't have gone to school that day. And my heart just broke in a way that my head couldn't have told it to. And I still pray now for them. And I, I realized I'd forgotten I sort of let it drift as those things sometimes do. And then I was at a conference the other day and they suggested like setting an alarm on your phone to pray for women around the world and they gave some suggestions. And I've kept that, although actually I turned it off today because I realised it probably would have gone off about now. When you've got a toddler, you're not normally out at this time. So I did have to turn it off, but I need to remember to turn it back on again because it's helped every single day it goes off. And I remember to pray. And as I pray with my head because the alarm's gone off, my heart continues to break and God shows me his love for these people. So we need to be prepared that as we pray humbly, as we come towards, towards God knowing that he has the power, as we actively pray, as we take that brave jump and actually specifically start to pray, that we get to claim the identity and our hearts will be broken and be shaped by who God is. Shall we pray? I think that might be a good way to end. Can I invite you to stand? You're probably a bit sore, sat on the floor. As you're standing, just wanted to share a picture I had. As I was preparing this talk a couple of weeks ago, or starting to think about what I was going to say, um, I then had someone share something with me that matched that, so I felt it was probably quite important to share. And that was the picture of this church um, as, a, as a boat. Now, this church, actually, because of soundproofing and the roof, 
and the boy doesn't have it. But a lot of churches have that kind of, you look like you're in an upside down boat. I don't know if you've ever noticed that if you go into an old church building, it looks like an upside down boat. Um, and I felt like just to think about this as this church as a boat, not like a little rowing boat or a canoe or a little sailing ship that can be kind of done by two or three people, but like a massive ship. Think kind of cruise liner size ship. Except as a church, we're not a, we're not a cruise ship because the people on board, we're not passengers. We're all part of this. We all have a part to play. Whatever that might be for you, we all have a part to play. So it's more like a working ship, a mission ship, a ship where everyone on board is there for a reason. And when it comes to prayer, I feel like this is a fuel for this ship. That we can't do this vision as a church by a couple of people leading the way and praying. But we all need to be involved, involved in prayer and in serving and in giving in order for this ship to go and to head towards our destination. So why, why don't I pray right now? Jesus, thank you that your power is enough that we can come to you humbly knowing that we can't do this on our own. 